Welcome back to the Nebraska Abilities Podcast. I am your host, Andy, joined by my co-host, Nate and Zach, here to discuss with you Nebraska's latest pitfall. They fall 26-9 to Illinois last Saturday at home in what was only to be described as a very, very bad and ugly football showing from the Cornhuskers squad. Uh, we knew going in that Illinois was a very stout team on both sides of the ball. Uh, they proved why they were number one leading the Big Ten West. Um, and going forward, you know, who knows what will happen with Illinois. They still have to play Purdue in a couple of weeks for probably the Big Ten title uh, West Division race, at least. But in terms of what happened on the field Saturday, it is pretty hard to describe anything other than just a very bad, ugly football game from the Cornhusker squad. Uh, some of the biggest, you know, notable news that came out of the game is obviously Casey getting hurt in the second quarter um, and his kind of future for the Minnesota game and the rest of the season um, and what that means for Nebraska. And we'll get to that later in the show. Uh, Mickey did discuss that today of Casey's status. We'll get to that later. But in terms of how the game went, first quarter, Pretty pretty decent showing from Nebraska. Um, offense got going on a couple big plays, got them some points. Defense forced some three and outs, uh, made some big plays, stepped up when they needed to. And then the Casey injury kind of just was the turning point for the entire game. Um, you know, you could go back and hypothetically say, you know, yeah, if Ramir catches that pass that he dropped, you know, does Casey even get put in that position to get hurt? A couple plays later, um, but that's neither here nor there. Point of the uh, matter is, you know, Casey did take a shot, did come out of the game clutching his right hand, couldn't close it from what it showed on the TV. So uh, hit a nerve in that elbow that caused him to be out the rest of the game and showed us what our backup quarterbacks could do, which was absolutely nothing whatsoever. Uh there's we are gonna have a discussion on that later on what that means going forward for Nebraska if Casey is out the rest of the season if we do have to rely on Chuba and Logan um, but we'll get into that but I'll pass it to Nate for just some initial early thoughts on the game. Yeah, it was a kind of tale of two halves, I guess you could say. Where first half we at least looked competent and could <laughs> move the ball a little bit had. A few defensive stops here and there but then that second half really just took the wind out of the sails and uh, we ended up falling 26 to 9 wasn't really particularly close I mean we had that I think it was uh, 6 to 9 at one point in the second quarter but then Illinois started running away with it uh, pretty well after that and so I don't know I I didn't see a whole lot of necessarily positive Moving into that, or looking at that game, Casey, for what he did play, was all right. Um, before he got injured, still had the the one interception. Probably wasn't necessarily that second one where he got injured. Probably wasn't necessarily on him, but he had the earlier interception that uh, wasn't necessarily the prettiest ball that I've ever seen. So, uh, but other than that, defense at least held up a little bit. Um, whether only gave up 26 points, which isn't necessarily the worst, but 
if you're only scoring nine points, it doesn't really matter too much. So <laughs> I was going to say that score shows just like it doesn't look that bad on paper. But if you watched any part of that game, you know that Illinois 100% could have scored more if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, it easily could have been a 40 to 50 point game to mm-hmm. <laughs> our nine points uh, just as easily. So kudos to Brett Bielema for letting his foot off the gas a little bit. We appreciate that. Not getting completely boat raced, but uh, still not a great showing. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't have too much more to say. I'll pass it over to Zach on uh, some of his initial thoughts right now. Initial thoughts uh, for me about the Husker game comes from the Mad Men episode where Pete Campbell is walking to the uh, <laughs> walking to the uh, elevator and he walks in and his coworker says, "How are you?" and he looks at him just dead in the face and goes, "Not great, Bob." That's that's about the best way I can put it because "Not great, Bob" is how the game went on Saturday. Um, and I know I was talking to you guys. Because I had to go and work at some at a couple things on Saturday in the second half, so I didn't get to watch the second half until later, which turns out I think was kind of a blessing in disguise. Not watching it live, but You're one of the I do lucky remember, ones. I do remember pulling my <laughs> phone out and just checking my um, like thirty four text messages from these guys and just getting the the minute to minute updates basically, and uh, a lot of it didn't read very well. Uh, it was not not good, and so then having to go back and rewatch the second half was uh, really hard to do, but at least I knew what to expect. Um, But yeah, it's going to be tough to see or not tough to see, but it's going to be hard going forward. I think if Casey is not, you know, uh, ready to go uh, at least I, I don't know his status, I think remains day to day, which we'll touch on later, I guess. But uh, the fact that he's only day to day right now, and we're going to play Minnesota, doesn't necessarily strike uh, confidence in me. And I know even last week I was chugging on the Mickey Kool Aid, saying, "Hey, I think he can rally the troops and get things done." But I think there's a lot of work that needs done that even the best head coaches would have a lot uh, on their plate if they came here to try and do the same thing. But who knows? Uh, I th- I'll be curious to see with the rest of the year if I'm still on the same Mickey train. Uh, I might be putting my foot out now uh, just to test the waters of other coaches and see, but we'll we'll see where that goes. But I will pass it back to Andy to get us into the actual game. Yeah, so starting with kind of the first half, first quarter really looked kind of promising for the offense at least. I mean, you come out on the first series. Anthony Grant has a couple good plays. Um, you know, caught that swing pass for about probably like 15-ish yards or so. Had a couple good runs, and you kind of got the feeling like, oh, you know, if you know Nebraska can kind of keep this up and push this Illinois offense around, um, you know, there's a chance that they can kind of stay in this game and keep going. Um, and I think that we had kind of talked about before is, you know, as much as you don't want to get into a shootout kind of game, I thought that was also Nebraska's best chance to kind of push the ball against Illinois is as we saw that Illinois just kind of the second half, just kind of ground and pound run out the clock with the nation's leading back, which you should do and which they did. Um, I did kind of think that, you know, if Nebraska were to kind of stay alive, you're going to need a couple of those big Trey Palmer plays, a couple of those big uh, 
just passing big explosive plays to kind of get you in position to score. And we did see that, you know, uh, we, the chance like that tight end screen was like nothing I've ever seen before. That just was a really good, well executed play where Brewington caught it, got us down, settled for a field goal out of it. Cause I think after that, we kind of ran three straight passing plays or, uh, some sort of combination of that, which then you settle for a field goal. Once I thought, well, if you're going to be, you know, the best team in the big 10 West, you can't win on field goals. Um, so kind of disappointed. We settled for a field goal with that, but then uh, they come out uh, either the next drive or a couple drives later. And, you know, Volkolek with, it almost looked like it could have been picked off. I thought at first Casey underthrew it, but Travis kind of made a great adjustment and ran it the rest of the way. And, I just don't know if he's not very fast because he kind of looked gas at about the 20 yard line running towards the end zone at that point. And I go, Oh, maybe that ankle's kind of still holding them up a little bit, but uh, Nebraska got on the board with that touchdown. What ensued after that, and what we'll save for later, because I know Zach has a couple good talking points is the blocked extra point that happened right after that. And <laughs> it's very laughable. And I'll save that for Zach when he gets to it, because I know he has things to say. Um, but I, they showed a graphic on the TV, kind of like the, either at the somewhere in the second quarter of like how much Illinois offense had given up uh, during the entire season of what they had given up today. And, you know, the offense had about 215 yards and nine points scored at that point, which is the most that Illinois kind of had averaged all season. So I'm like, man, you know, you keep this up, you have a chance to win because you're kind of already have beaten of what Illinois holds teams to during the season. And then obviously the second half happened and that's a whole other discussion uh, that we'll get to. But um, like I said, you can stick on hypotheticals, you know, that Ramir drop. Man, if he catches that and makes a move, I mean, you probably score because he had nobody in front of him on that play. Um, but then, alas, you know, the the most devastating thing, which we I know that we had all talked about every week, essentially, is, you know, one of these shots Casey was going to take was eventually going to sideline him for a longer period of time. And we did see that. Uh, Illinois got through on a free blitz. Uh, Casey just kind of lobbed it up. Hopefully that somebody would make the catch. Obviously he threw it as he got hit. Cause it was a floating duck for Illinois to pick it off. Um, but as we saw, just not a good scene. Casey just kind of sitting there on the ground, holding his arm cause he couldn't close his hand. And as we found out later that uh, he had a nerve in that elbow, uh, you know, like you said, Zach, thankfully so far, all we've heard is day to day. So it's good for kind of a long-term scene of, you know, casing being available. But if I were to bet for this week against Minnesota, I'm going to guess he's not going to play. I think unless he has some sort of miraculous turnaround in the next two to three days, um, I'm going to bet that he's probably not going to play against Minnesota. But, you know, we knew at some point that, you know, the old line was going to eventually quote unquote kill Casey and, one of those hits that he took and it did happen. Um, you know, it's just not, not a fun scene for anybody to watch. And it definitely shows why our offensive line deserves uh, the fire into the sun award every week. And at first I thought the first quarter happened. I'm like, maybe they don't deserve it this week because they were kind of pushing Illinois around on the off, like the defensive line. And then everything after that, and I was like, okay, no, they deserve every single bit of this uh, type award. But 
outside of that, I mean, first half out, it just was not good because Illinois scores on the next interception, um, next drive and then they score right before half go up 20 to nine at half and at that point you just kind of thought like man if less casey's available for the second half you gotta stick with logo and chubba a logan or chubba um things were not going to go well for the offense and they didn't but with that i'll kind of talk or or pass that to nate um you can talk about the second half or we can get into the whole chubba versus logan debate because that is something that we will have to address uh going forward yeah so i guess just looking i mean first half was what it was and ultimately is defined by casey getting injured i mean we were at least on a track to if nothing else keep up with illinois a little bit until that casey thompson injury and then uh, like i mentioned the rails just kind of there's the wind just kind of got knocked out of the sails there and so uh, we got a look at Chubba Purdy and a small, small look at Logan Smothers. <laughs> Three plays, almost. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, like you mentioned, going to be an interesting talking point going forward is what direction do we want to go? Because Chubba certainly did not look the part of a division one starting quarterback from the snaps that we saw and i'm sure a lot of that has to do with our offensive line and chubba not being used to being chased around two seconds after the ball being snapped but unfortunately that's going to be the reality that he's going to have to deal with and that's kind of the hand that he's dealt so how he adjusts to that will be interesting to see it'll be really i guess eye-opening if we're, because I believe uh, when Mickey's presser, he was saying that uh, Chubba was taking most of the first team snaps. Did I hear that right? Uh, they had equal reps at least okay. today and yesterday at with the first team. Okay. So that at least opens up the possibility of potentially seeing some Logan Smothers uh, mixed in there as well. And if it were me, I think that's probably the best approach, I feel like, is I would try and mix it up with each of the quarterbacks, keep the defenses on their heels. Um, it's not because neither of them are going to be as certain of a player as Casey was, as good of a um, pass thrower as Casey was. And so being able to mix it up and throw Chubb in there when you know you want your certain passing plays, but put Logan in there for more of a wildcat play, but even maybe mix it up with a few passes in between to just keep defenses on their right. heels. I think could be. And I think I, I agree. I think that's what they have to preach to Logan this week. Cause we know Logan is the running quarterback, but you do not want to put him in there and defenses just play the run because they're like, Oh yeah, this mm-hmm. quarterback's in. He's like, we know they're going to run some sort of read option. So if they're going to put Logan in there, you got to put packages in there for like a read option pass where he hits like Volkolek over the middle or, you know, Palmer on a slant, those type of plays. Because if you like say, hey, this is our passing quarterback with Chubba, this is our running back uh, quarterback with Logan, defenses will play to that. And obviously, you know, how we saw Chubba Saturday, I don't think defenses are going to have to worry about passing too much with Chubba so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, unless he makes some monumental strides over the next uh, few days here, I, I think teams aren't going to be too uh, worried about Chubba's passing abilities necessarily. <laughs> but it at least gives teams a different look, um, which could 
could potentially help us, I suppose. And so, like you mentioned, just being, I guess, persistent. I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, kind of knowing what we want to do with with each quarterback and what set plays we kind of want to run mm-hmm. with them will be important moving forward. And so, uh, I guess that's kind of the story of the second half for me is just really understanding how we can move forward without Casey. Um, Cause even, you know, Anthony Grant, they were able to stop him cause they knew we couldn't throw the ball. Going to be an issue if you can't get the ball downfield and open up your running game that way. So um, my favorite stat I, of the second half was the offense amassed the whole 29 total yards. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that is astoundingly good that you can do that bad <laughs> yep. granted they were playing a very good defense in illinois i will give mm-hmm. illinois the credit there but to not illinois credit they were playing probably uh one of the worst um offensive teams that they could have at that point so <laughs> it's i mean it would what i always think about of like backup quarterback situations i always go back to Alabama of having Jalen and Tua as your one and two who are two starting NFL quarterbacks out. I'm like, do you know how nice it would be to have a backup quarterback that is also an NFL starting caliber type quarterback just at your disposal? Yep. Yep. We'd take just an NFL starting quarterback. (laughs) I know. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Whether he's a starter or not. Any sort of prospect would be good right now, but <laughs> but uh, no, that's about most of my thoughts. I guess the only other sad, sad uh, thought I had was uh, Trey Palmer, only one reception for one yard um, after his monster performance against Purdue. Again, that's going to be tied more to Casey and anything else, but was kind of unfortunate to see that he had a less than stellar game so I mean, but i'll pass uh pass it over to zach with uh, his thoughts on the offense not much more to add beyond what you guys already <laughs> said uh it just wasn't great i mean the, re- the weird thing to me is that we can always see hopes and glimpses here and there you'll see one good play or two good plays or i mean heck we put together a really good drive and went to, I think it was 93 yards for that touchdown that Vokalek had. And I mean, that Vokalek touchdown, first of all, was great to see him get another touchdown, but also I thought it was funny because I just remember watching him run down the sideline. I'm like, he looks exhausted. <laughs> just ha- like he got to the 20 yard line. I think <laughs> maybe it might've been closer. And I was just like, he better like boot it into second gear because I don't know if he's going to make it. Luckily, he did. I did but... not think he was going to make it. I'm like, man, you know. I, I could always just picture in the back of my mind of like a defender just slowly creeping up. I'm like, oh, is he going to make it or not? <laughs> and that was a perfect example of just <laughs> it was like uh, if he would have been half a second slower, he probably wouldn't have made the touchdown there. But still, you know, up until that point, even though Illinois, I think, had scored the touchdown first or maybe they had two field goals. I don't quite remember, but anyway. Yeah, they scored because they missed their extra point. That's right. Okay. So even though Illinois scored first, you know, I didn't feel like the momentum had been lost. And then we scored the touchdown and I was like, okay, 
now the momentum is back. And even on TV, you could just hear the stadium rocking, which then led to the missed extra point, which that's future. That, that I'm mad about that for different reasons, but that goes into a slightly different discussion, which we'll get to later. But it, it was so rough because usually in the last few games that we've watched, it's been a tale of two halves with Nebraska. This one's been a tale of one quarter and the rest of the, the rest of the game just, didn't and you could tell too like once Ramir dropped that pass on top of you know a few other plays here and there that just on top of questionable play calling this game just looked off in general and I mean I know we haven't looked we haven't looked like a top uh, NCAA football team for a long time I understand that but there you could see some changes that even when you know things kind of went off the rails that Nebraska didn't truly give up in the last few games, but it just as soon as Casey went down and as soon as that pass was dropped, I guess in the reverse order of that, but as soon as Ramirez dropped that pass, which would have been a heck of a gain had he caught it. If not, I don't I don't remember if he would have been gone, but he looked like he would have gotten close at least because um, he had quite a bit of uh, space down the field. Um Casey probably wouldn't have gotten hurt and we probably could have, you know, made a run for at least a field goal, uh, if not a touchdown. And you, you just kind of see at that point, the wheels just fell off and it was downhill from there. And it's also really concerning to me that Nebraska has Casey Thompson as their starting quarterback. And that's good. Like he's been okay, but then our backup quarterbacks have not developed hardly at all. It looks like, I think, you know, Logan's obviously got the legs to run, but like you guys said, as soon as you stick Logan out there, the assumption is it's going to be a run or, you know, at most maybe an RPO, but it's like whatever. Um, and then Chuba, he, I don't know if it's because, I don't know if it's because he has dirt on like Mark Whipple or something, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I was convinced that maybe the game wasn't lost, but there definitely should have been a bit more back and forth and see, you know, who, who can perform better under the pressure. But I don't know. The, I don't, obviously I can't speak about it because I don't know what it's like to coach and I don't know what goes on on the sidelines. So it's tough because I, I think they both probably have, intangibles that work really well on the field but you didn't see it and so it's really tough to it's really tough to watch an offense that can't seem to just get out of their own way sometimes even in the face of adversity yes Casey going down wasn't great yes Ramir dropping that pass wasn't great but you know how many times do we hear Scott Frost say or other coaches even say that games are one off of one or two plays well that was our one or two play right there, you know, that had that not happened, who knows what we'd be talking about today. Mm -hmm. Probably still a loss, but maybe not the same kind of loss. Right. Yeah. And I don't think casing being hurt changes the game into Nebraska winning by any means. I still think Illinois finds a way to win that game because obviously the second half, you know, we said they took their foot off the gas because they knew our offense could run the ball. You know, they might have picked it up more in the second half. If Casey was still playing and, you know, kind of keeping it close, but. You know, yeah, I don't I don't think that Nebraska wins that game, whether Casey is healthy the entire rest of the game or not. I still think Illinois won that or like wins that game. But you're right. I mean, it changes the conversation of how much better does the offense look versus with Casey versus without Casey. And we kind of had this same thought of last year when Adrian went out 
for the Michigan State game, and then they have to put in, you know, the backups. And it's like, oh man, if you know, Adrian, it's kind of the same mentality. It's like Casey gives you your best chance to win as Adrian did, despite you know Adrian's faults. Like he was still your best option to win football games, just like Casey is still our best option to win football games. So same mentality, and it's just kind of one of those. How much does that go back to recruiting? You know, good quarterbacks that fit your system. Obviously, the quarterbacks that Scott wanted were running quarterbacks, and that's what you get with Logan. And the quarterback that he brought in with Shubbo fits Mark Whipple's system. So now you got two quarterbacks with two different systems that you bring in for Mark Whipple and the current offense. And that's just kind of you know what we are still seeing this whole frost like ripple effect of all these recruits were set for Scott's, you know, mentality of how he wants to run his offense. And now you have this brand new, you know, I mean, yeah, they're eight games in, but um, you still get those players that are fit for frost system and not Whipple system. And obviously we're seeing that with the quarterback differential right now. For sure. And what really just boggles my brain and I, I don't know if it's a coach, a current coaching issue or if it's an issue going back to the start of the year or even last couple of years, but it's just the development of key players has been abysmal, clearly. Um, and I, I'm not saying that's a player, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's something you put on the players there, but I don't know. Like, it just seems like the, it seems like the coaching that we have, has just not given gotten them to the second level. And it's like you already you made the comparison kind of to Jalen Hurts and you know Tua mm-hmm. at Alabama. And yeah, you look at them now, and <laughs> they're both doing, I would say, pretty well in the NFL. Um, well, except for the Dolphins so, trying to kill Tua, but that's a whole different point. Yeah. <laughs> well, they probably they, they sound like they took a, a play from Nebraska's playbook for how to run an offensive line, um, which is not probably the book that they should be reading. But hey, what what do I know? But I don't know. It it just it's rough to watch because we, there's we have such good talent on the team, and it just doesn't seem like it's ever made it past where they got. This sounds weird, but like they got really far in high school. You know, and they they were the star of the show in high school, and then they they took half of the next step in order to play at college. But was that enough of a step? And again, does that go on the players or does that go on the coaching? My vote goes to coaching, obviously, especially knowing what we know now. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But unless you guys got any more on the offense to talk about, we can transfer well, over to defense. Yeah, I mean, we can if we want to just debate who we each think of you know if we had to go with chubb or logan um before we dive into the defense just since we're on the quarterback point still uh all right then for me is i i would say it's tough to say because we didn't get much of a look mm-hmm. but <laughs> i personally think logan gives us the edge right unless unless chubba gets out of his own head which is what mickey alluded to in his press conference today that chubba just needs to take a breath but I don't think that's gonna quite cut it because it's not just breathing. That was the problem there. I don't think, (laughs) but my vote would be Logan. I think he's just the better rounded quarterback. I would agree too, because I mean, you go back to the Iowa game last year, you know, outside of the whole, you know, what happened 
with that game. I mean, Logan started out, and I thought Logan played pretty well that game too, and he kind of showed glimpse of, okay, if you're going to keep kind of, you know, a running passing quarterback, like Logan can develop into that type of system. Now, obviously, everything that happened after that changed everything, but, you know, if you just, Logan just has, I think, more experience against Chuba of running an offense of what he wants to do. And, you know, if that's, that's, that's the part that is kind of the hard part to accept is Logan's set style does not match what Whipple wants to do. Um, and that's, that's kind of probably obviously why we saw Chubba more and why, you know, what we had talked about before we hopped on is kind of this kind of clash between Mickey and Whipple of, I don't, we don't think that they're on the same page of what each one wants to do. Um, Cause it was weird to see Logan for, you know, that one possession and then Chubba the rest of the game when Chubba was not doing well and we didn't see Logan get put in there at all. So that's something just to kind of monitor is, you know, are, are those two coaches on the same page or not? Um, obviously Scott brought them both in, but they, one of them didn't bring the other in. So it's not like, you know, they were really good buddies beforehand and came together. They came together because somebody else brought them in type thing. Um, but I mean, yeah, unless, you know, like we said, Shubba somehow turns it around this week at practice. Um, I still think Logan kind of gives you a better advantage to get the offense to move the ball. Um, just because you can mix in a lot more different looks with Logan than Shubba. Um, and I guess, you know, I mean, Shubba ran a few times on Saturday. He didn't look terrible either. So it's not like he could not run a QB read option, but I think, you know, Logan is the one that Scott had brought in for that reason. So if you're going to run that, then, uh, you know, that's, that's just what it is. But um, I, yeah, I do think Logan should be the starter. You know, we'll see. I'm sure Mickey will either say something Thursday at his final press conference before the game, or we probably won't know until Saturday who the starter is. Um, but at that point, I think it's just I I would vote Logan over Chuba. Same with you, Zach. How about you, Nate? Yeah, I think I'm pretty well in line with you guys. Um, I think at least this week it'd be interesting to see still the mashup of both the quarterbacks. I think uh, give them both a chance at least to run the offense in a full game uh, if Casey is indeed out. But uh, yeah, I think I would still give Smothers a little bit of a, a nod just because he has the experience and uh, Chuba just has not shown a whole lot in the reps that he has been in necessarily for uh, uh, in games this year. So I would be more inclined to go with Smothers. He just seems like he's got a better control of the um, offense. It seems like better um, chances just to run more run pass option or anything like that. And so I think that's probably the direction I would go, but yeah, we'll see on Saturday, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's... let's just hope the coaches can put, put it together and, you know, get maybe both of them on a similar page to where maybe yeah. we can just see some serviceable QB play. That's all right. I ask. <laughs> I would agree serviceable. with that. Serviceable. Yeah. Serviceable. <laughs> Yeah, but so we'll lead. That's in, my take. Yeah. We can go to defense. Yeah, we'll lead into the defense here. So start the game out. I mean, same thing with the first quarter. I mean, they they looked pretty good. Um, but obviously, as the game went on, 
things did not go well. And Chase Brown showed you why he was and still is the leading back in the nation. Um, he finished with 149 yards and a rushing touchdown and also that uh, passing receiving touchdown out of the backfield that he had right before half. So um, just just to show you that, you know, he can run against any defense, no matter what you put in front of them. Um, he well, I mean, we knew that going into the game, too. We knew that, like, if you do not stop Chase Brown and kind of make him, I mean, DeVito also was like, what, 20? for 22 so he tore i mean he dinked and dunked us like what o'connell did but just like 30 fewer passing attempts essentially um i don't think i think the longest pass illinois threw was that or in terms of in the the like the ball being in the air the longest was that chase brown passing touchdown out of the backfield i don't think they threw anything like in the air longer than like probably 10 yards outside of that touchdown it was everything was just dink and dunk underneath plays, and he just picked us apart. Um, just kept the offense doing, and I think that's just a staple of how good Illinois knows their system and how well that Belima wants to run it, and it showed. Um, now, granted, our defense, as we know, not the best either, so it's probably easy to do that. Um, but I mean, first half, I thought they did pretty well. I mean, uh, Garrett had a sack. Uh, Reimer, or not Reimer, up. Uh, Isaac Gifford had that free running sack, which was. You know, you love seeing that on defense. Darn it, you stole what I was just going to say. I was going to be like, you love to see it. I mean, you do love to see it. <laughs> I was so I was so excited when I saw that happen. I was like, oh my gosh, they did the thing. They did. They did a really good thing. And that is like, that usually happens to our offensive line is we don't pick up or see the free roaming blitzing linebacker and get our quarterback killed. So um, nice to see the defense kind of do that. But I mean, after that, it just kind of went downhill. I mean, Illinois just did what Illinois does is just, you know, run and pound the clock, just run it at you and until you stop them, they're just going to keep doing what they do. And um, like we had talked about, the score is not indicative how badly that game could have gone if Illinois cared to uh, score more of the second half because they certainly did not care because they know we couldn't score. Um, so that's just a very sad thought to have about this entire program and this entire team, but it is what it is and we live with it. Um only other thought I had was the Reimer late hit out of bounds. I know it really didn't matter that at that point in the game because the, you know your offense wasn't going to score, but Reimer being a veteran guy, like you got to know. I mean, DeVito was what three steps out of bounds <laughs> and he still hit him. And I'm like, Oh, they're going to call that 10 out of 10 times. And they did. Um, so just a stupid boneheaded mistake that, you know, you just don't expect out of your veteran guys. Like obviously Reimer should have known better, uh, but at last it happened either way. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I mean, defense for the most part didn't do well, obviously, as we know. Um, I mean, in terms of total yards, giving up, I mean, 367 total yards doesn't seem like a lot. If your offense can also put up that much, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we knew Illinois was going to run it down our throats. And unless we could stop them, they were just going to keep doing it. And Chase Brown showed you why that he is the best back in the nation. And we'll be very surprised if he's not at least the consideration for a Heisman if he keeps it up. Because, I mean, he just he, – I'm sure he's averaging well over 100 and probably 20 yards a game on the ground, which is astounding. Um but with that, we'll pass it to Nate. Uh, any thoughts on the defense there? Nope. 
<laughs> All right, well, well the defense wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, defense is what it is. Illinois kind of came in. I'm sure they had the game plan of, like you mentioned, just kind of dinking and dunking us like every other team that's beat us has. Uh, run the ball on us like every team that has beat us has. Um, I'm sure they had a pretty deliberate game plan to get ahead as much as they could in that first quarter and just kind of try to rat it out in the second or first half, try to rat it out in the second half. And they certainly did it. Um, they didn't really have too many issues. Like you said, Tommy DeVito was 20 for 22. You can't, you can't do that on defense. You you gotta, you gotta get in the way. You gotta block up or pa- break up some passes, um, make it, make it difficult for him. I don't know. It, I don't have too much positive really to s- spin out of it. it <laughs> they didn't give up that many points, all things considered. Again, that might just be because Illinois took their foot off the gas, but I guess in a sense you can make the case that two field goals in the second half isn't too bad. But I don't know. It it wasn't wasn't a performance that really inspired any confidence in me going forward, I guess. I mean there were our normal guys. Um, Garrett Nelson was involved. Ochon Mathis was involved a little bit. Reimer looks like he was our top tackler, but I don't know. They didn't really. We had what two sacks? I mean, yeah, that sounds about right. Because <laughs> those are the only two had, plays that I got excited for. We had the one turnover, but that wasn't really because. Uh, Anything we did on defense, the guy kind of just lost the ball as it hit him on the thigh, I believe. So we just kind of lucked into that one more than anything. Um, so I I don't know. I don't really know where we go from here. It's It seemed kind of like we were hearkening back to the Scott Frost era on defense where tackling wasn't necessarily great. Um, it seemed like we weren't necessarily in a good position. I know there were a few times where I said to myself, like, that is a horrible just angle you're taking to try and tackle a guy. And sure enough, they missed it. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, su- I... Surprise, no, we are not good at tackling still. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Yep. And I mean, I didn't expect a monumental turnaround in a month, but I would have hoped to see at least a little bit of improvement. And it just seems like we really haven't seen that lately. Or at least uh, against Illinois, that wasn't necessarily something we saw. And so, I don't know. They existed. They were there. They played defense. Wasn't great defense. So, <laughs> I guess that's about all I have for my thoughts on the defense. I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Zach. Well, I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. Because <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Oh, I, you, interestingly you have enough, a good point coming up, Zach. You can follow it up with that. <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough... Um, I was a little higher on the defense compared to what you guys sound like for a while there. Uh, they were the closest to, they were the closest to being the, the tail of two halves, which you never want to see with a football team, but at least I thought for a while there, the defense was holding their own. We knew Illinois was going to come in and they're going to do what Minnesota is going to do. So we kind of already have a blueprint for what, what we need to know for Saturday, obviously mm-hmm. different schemes and whatnot here, but Minnesota is going to do the same thing Illinois did, uh, just without the 17 next to their name. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe it, 
maybe that'll help us. Maybe not playing a ranked opponent will help us. I don't know. But it started off really good. Uh, it, it wasn't perfect. No defense ever is, at least unless you're like Georgia or Tennessee this year, I guess. But <laughs> even then, you know, like we knew they would score, but there for about the first, for most of the first half, I was really impressed with how we at least were fighting. And then, you know, once Casey went down, uh, you could you could just tell. It kind of affected the rest of the team in more ways than one. And it just really, really kind of sucked the life out of the team, mm-hmm. um, both defensively, offensively, just across the board you could see it, which I get it, you know, when you lose one of your when you lose one of your big players like that, it it's never easy and all of a sudden adversity becomes tougher, but you really hope that at this point in time that Mickey would be able to spur the guys to, to do, you know, to at least keep fighting. And I'm not saying they didn't fight, but it just seemed like at that point it was just like all hope was gone essentially, which really sucks. But when it's been kind of beat India for the last five years, it's tough to, it's tough to really blame them, Mm -hmm. but it also makes the product you watch as a Husker fan really tough. So um, but outside of that, one of the things I was impressed with, and again, maybe this is just because the refs were being easy on us, but, um, and this isn't necessarily just defensively either, but Nebraska was only called for three penalties. Um, and I know obviously one of those was that Reimer one, which was boneheaded, but, um, I was, I am just impressed that, you know, we were at least a fairly clean team. But again, if Illinois was running vanilla ice cream for offense and, we weren't able to make stops and nothing was really being penalized upon, then I'm not surprised. But yeah, there's not a whole heck of a lot to touch upon with not a whole lot to touch upon with the uh, defense for me. Just really close to that tail of two halves, which I thought was good. I guess I'll spin the positive zone and say they only scored six points in the second half, (laughs) but Again, I'm 99% convinced that that was because the uh, <laughs> that Illinois said, you know what, we can we can go out and play. Uh, we can go play basically like you know when you play uh, Madden or NCAA football on like the Xbox or PlayStation mm-hmm. with your younger sibling, and you're up at like 48 or like 48 to seven at half, and you're just playing literally just trick plays and wildcat plays the second half just to give them a chance. Yeah, that's what Illinois did with us. They were like, well, we're going to use the second half as practice and get better at some plays. So, which really sucks because, again, and we've touched on this before, it really just shows how far we've fallen. And I'm not even looking, when I say that, I'm not looking for return to 90s. I mean, I'd love to return to the 90s greatness, but I'm just looking for like. <laughs> I think we all hey, would. I, I honestly, I would just like to see a ranking by our name again, even if it is 24, yeah. 25. Mm-hmm. I mean, Illinois did it mm-hmm. and no one no one really expected them to be barn burners this year. Right. But here we are. I, I think <laughs> if they can do it, I think Nebraska can do it. It's just we've got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But yep. with that, I'll pass it back to Andy. We can touch on uh, special teams and start transitioning towards everything else. Well, this takes us into our discussion about the special teams now and the blocked extra point, which also kind of leads into a offensive line discussion because a certain player on the special teams field goal unit. If you've not seen the video, I'm sure you can just 
Twitter or Google Bryce Benhart, and there will be a video of him on that block extra point doing absolutely nothing, uh, which is the reason why the extra point got blocked. And, you know, it just proves that <laughs> Bryce Benhart might be the worst offensive line player that we have right now. Um, it, <laughs> I had to watch it about 10 times and I kept laughing each time because I'm like, on one hand, I get that you don't want to stand up and like have your kicker kick it into the back of your head, which might be what they plan to do. But at the same time, he didn't make a single effort to stop the Illinois lineman just coming right through and blocking the extra point. And I, I'm i like still laughing about it now because it's so bad how bad Bryce Benhart is at playing offensive line. <laughs> Um, obviously if the offensive line didn't deserve our weekly fire into the sun award, I think Bryce Benhart would take it for this week, uh, just by himself. Cause it was so bad, uh, how bad that play was. Um, but with that, we'll just, I'll pass it to Nate if he has any thoughts. Cause I know Zach has a couple thoughts, uh, just about the offensive line in general that he wants to discuss. I don't have too much to, uh, <clears throat> say special teams wise uh punting looked eh this game and that was about that was about we didn't have a punt blocked that's yeah this is true better than the purdue game little steps here i guess (laughs) (laughs) but no that's about all i've got special teams wise we'll go ahead and get into the spicy takes corner over here so the luckiest thing i can say is that if this would have been the day of the game that we recorded this, it would have been me screaming immediately about this, especially once. Well, I think this video came out a little bit after that, but um, I've always said that it is very fortunate that we do not record immediately after the game, because (laughs) what we say now versus what we would say after the game would probably be two completely different things. (laughs) And I mean, one of these days we're going to have to try it to see, but I'm really glad it wasn't this one. And so I just because I was I like to be um, I like to be that guy. I definitely went and checked out the video again. I'm watching it on repeat right now on my computer screen. And I'm just, I keep watching this over and over. And I'm, I don't understand, but I feel like this is a perfect example of what, of what Nebraska has become. So obviously Andy already kind of described it, but on the point or on the point after attempt, after Nebraska scored the touchdown, a momentum swinging touchdown, by the way. They come out for the point after, and the I don't know who it was from Illinois, but he basically just says, excuse me, sir, walks through the line and blocks the kick. And they it had they had they been paying a little more attention, they could have returned it for two. Uh I, I was watching that and I remember seeing it thinking, how did he get so far in there? Because I didn't see it live. And two how do they have so much green space to almost run it back? Um, the video doesn't show that part of it here, but I, yeah, I remember I just, that after the play, they yeah, like he picked up the ball and everybody kind of looked at each other and like nobody knew if the play was dead or not. And then they started like running, like oh, this is still a live ball type play. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so interesting because that to me was just such a perfect microcosm. along with the other things that I've said are perfect microcosms, including a onside kick in the third quarter against Northwestern, who has yet to, I think, win a game outside of us, amongst other things. 
you know, it's just, it shows to me that whoever is coaching Nebraska has truly, I'm pretty sure everything from foundational work up to do. But what really upsets me is that Bryce Benhart was this highly touted recruit. And we looked, I looked this up beforehand. He was a four-star recruit, at least according to 24-7. And this is the, this is what we're getting for effort. First of all, that's pathetic. Second of all, Mickey should have taken him out after this, but maybe he didn't see it until afterwards. I don't know. And for anybody that might be a special teams person out there, I did go and look at it a few times just to see if I was crazy. And I see, like, when, as you said, Andy, already too, mm-hmm. you don't want to just stand straight up and have your kicker accidentally hit you. That's the entire purpose of them staying down in their stance. But if you watch the rest of the line, they move. They they at least move to a level to where it's like they're trying to get on their block. He didn't move an inch. He moved his arm to the outside. You're supposed to go inside. Like and I don't I don't know if it's I don't know. It's whatever because it's just like it how can you expect any coach to come in here and do anything if that's the effort that they're giving? And if he's if he's already giving up, if he's saying, you know what, this year's done, then b- bench him or quit. Like, if you don't want to play football anymore, because that's what it looks like. It looks like he doesn't want to play football. And I get it. It's a tough sport. I mean, I don't get it to the level of college because I only played in high school football. But I get that it's a tough sport and it's tough on your body and it probably can be mentally draining, especially playing for a team that hasn't won for years now. But, like, come on. At least put in some effort. And this kind of coincides because Sports Illustrated put out a really interesting article um, about Mickey Joseph and kind of his, you know, time, his his long interview process. Um, and if you haven't read it, I recommend reading it. I think what I'll do is I'll, I might link it on our socials just as uh, reading material for people that want to read it if they haven't. Ross, but, yeah, Ross Jellinger is the journalist who wrote that article, and he did a really good job of kind of diving into the background of Mickey because Ross had spent time in Louisiana when Mickey was still in Louisiana coaching. So he kind of already knew about Mickey's background and everything, but it's a really good deep dive into just Mickey in general and then kind of his time here now still. And for and for context, oh, sorry, Nate, go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say this podcast is not sponsored by Sports Illustrated yet. (laughs) <laughs> correct yet soon if, if you're Ross, out there listening uh we might take some offers <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yeah we we hear we'll we'll hear you um but it was so funny because this came out i think two days after so it came out was it yesterday i think it was monday yes and the the funny part about this is this story was supposed to drop friday too so the after reading it and i kind of sat back and i'm like this would have hit a hundred percent different if this happened before Saturday and how I felt before the game versus how I felt after the game. So reading it kind of after the loss of Saturday, and it's just like the story hits a lot different than it probably would have before the game. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And again, it's still a good read regardless of when you read it. Obviously it's after the game now, but one of the things I, <sighs> I scratched so or scratched my brain trying to figure out how exactly I felt because on one hand I was like, you know, the Illinois game showed me that Mickey may not be ready. But then I read this and I was like, you know, it really just reinforced because I've been on the Mickey um, 
Kool-Aid train this whole time. Like I, a- after we won against Indi- Indiana and Rutgers and I thought, Hey, we see a different team. I thought like he might be the guy at minimum, at least to be a player's coach. And I feel like that's what we needed in terms of just being able to connect with the kids that play the game. Because at the end of the day, the coach can coach as much as he wants. And this kind of gets into my long point here, but he can, he can coach as much as he wants, but if the players don't put in the effort, then is it really his fault? And I say that for anybody that is going to get the head coaching position, but this article just kind of reinforced to me that Mickey has the stuff, like he's got the correct mindset that if we were to give him the head coaching job, I think he'd have absolutely everything there in terms of the mental fortitude. And he would just be perfect at the, at the, you know, being the head of the, the team. Would he be able to do it in terms of being the CEO role, which has now kind of become the head coaching role in football um, and, you know, putting those uh, good coaches in there to do the actual coaching of the positions when he can't do it. You know, I mean, we know he's really good with wide receivers, but you would think if he becomes a head coach that he would want to, uh, maybe not, but you would think he'd want to take a step back and kind of let his, his guys, let his coaches do the bulk of that. And then, you know, he just oversees the team. That's what I want in the next head coach. Does he have that? Can he be the CEO of the team? I don't know. I I don't know. That's going to be the tricky part that needs to be answered by Trev. Thankfully, not us. <laughs> but again, on the flip side of that argument, if you have people like Bryce Benhart that are going out there on a point after attempt and are not are putting in what looks like zero effort and for something is, and I put this in quotes, small as a point after attempt. It's not, it's, it's not any smaller than any other play in the game, but you know, it's, it's something that most people look at. It's like, okay, well they're going to go, that's where you go get your beer. That's where you go get your, your, you go to the bathroom. Like most people don't really stick around during the point afters if they need to go do something, you know, they use that time cause they're probably going to go into commercial break on TV after that, whatever, you know, so small quotes, but how can you expect any coach to come into this into the building and get them to coach any player up if that's the kind of effort they're going to get? Granted, I still think, you know, Mickey should have definitely benched him afterwards. But the the work had already been done. The kick was blocked. It didn't matter then. And it was almost returned for two. At least it looked like it could be. But I don't know. I wrote that up after I watched the game again, and I was like, I do I think Mickey should get the head coaching job? Truthfully, I don't know. It's all going to be a gamble. Whoever comes in here, because it mm. could be, mm-hmm. it could it could even be someone like Urban Meyer or Nick Saban. But I think there's so much work that needs to be done, regardless of who comes in here, that it, we're not going to see immediate success. And I think once people figure that out, then the head coaching job will be a little easier to manage. Mm-hmm. But again, when you see plays like this, and you just yeah, you know, you're taught if you're going to be a competitor at any level, they tell you to go until the clock says zero till the final minute runs out. That's not what I saw. And again, do I think Mickey's to blame for that? No, but he should have been benched after that. But anyway, that's my piece on it. So <laughs> I will leave. I will leave that as it is. It's a, it's um, a good discussion point. I mean, Definitely watching that game Saturday, I had the same thoughts of, you know, if 
if this is how this is going to be like, you know, Mickey, maybe is not the guy. Um, it's also one of those things you have to look at it. I mean, it's, it's so mat- uh, multifactorial of, you know, you have like, obviously Mickey was handed a plate of crap. I mean, this is what he was given. Um, so you can't really fault him at all. I mean, you can't fault him because his coaches that he has assistants around him were not brought in by him uh, by him either. You know, the players that are here, he has not recruited them here either. So you have to look at it at that point, you know, but you know, he's now what five games into the, his interim role here. And this game kind of reminded me of, this is one of those Scott Frost games. I mean, this is like, perfect example of what I would see out of a Scott Frost team. And this is what this reminded me of, of like, just, you know, just that stupid play that just overall play in general that we would see out of a Scott Frost led team. And I think, you know, if you hire Mickey, I mean, you can't make it based off emotion. I mean, this cannot be an emotional based hire. If that's, if that's all you care about is, oh, I want Mickey to stay because I think, you know, he gets the guys going and he's good culture, like he's good culture. Like, yeah, that's only going to get you so far. I mean, Saturday proof that you can have the right mentality. You can have the right culture. But if you do not have the right coaches that are going to develop your guys, if you do not have the right players in your system, you are just going to get thrashed. And we did. Um That's why I've said from the start, I mean, you need to get a coach that is going to build around the line. I mean, Belima is like the perfect example of that. Illinois has now was eight and one, or did they move to seven and one? One of the two. Seven but and one. I seven and one. I mean, that line pushed us around. They have like I don't I'd have to look up what Chase Brown was recruited wise, but but I mean you look at you know Belima's in year two and he was handed all of this stuff as well, and you know, he's already turned it around. You know, obviously Belima's a far better coach than Frost was Frost was in terms of experience, but, you know, not saying that it can't be done with, you know, you're handed these players. I mean, believe it hasn't recruited. He didn't recruit Trace Brown. He didn't recruit any of these, you know, offensive line, defensive line type players yet. He's able to turn them around to a nationally ranked team in year two. So it's just, it's baffling to see that like, coaching staffs make a difference and that hiring somebody that is going to build around a solid line, you can put talent around a line, but if you have a talent, like I've said before, if you just have your talent backs and no line, like we have now, you're not going to get anywhere, especially in the big 10. So it's just, it's one of those things that like you gamble with that with Mickey. Um, you have no idea who's who he's like, if he gets hired, who he's going to keep on the current staff, who he's even going to bring in. Um, type people like obviously we know he's going to be he's a great recruiter he has proven that he is such a great recruiter but can he recruit for what we are in the Big Ten and what the type of program that we are like we are not a flashy LSU type talent team where you can run and gun in the SEC and build around that like we like the Big Ten is a smash mouth type league and that's just what you have to build around in the midwest and what you have to build around in the big 10 so that's i'm kind of with you zach like you know i'm starting to lean off the mickey train i'm still waiting till the end of the season to kind of you know formally make my decision but i also think at the same time it's kind of odd that 
like we haven't heard anything in terms of rumors that have really sparked or Trev saying anything at all. I expected Trev to say nothing, but it's kind of weird that like we haven't heard anything at all. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. Like if you don't hear anything up until the Iowa week, like you kind of assume Mickey's probably going to get the job. So it's just, it's such a gamble for the program to just hire somebody that's not proven that can't come in. And, you know, like you said, Zach, like it's going to, like we knew it was going to take years for the frost ripple effect to finally get out of the program. Like we know that. And I know Trev knows that with whoever he hires, like, yeah, it's probably going to be a rough couple of years, but like, we need to get you in here to develop these coaches, develop these players and build what Nebraska wants to be and compete for, you know, big 10 championships and national championships again. And I just, right now, I mean, Saturday, obviously I went in kind of with the optimism of the Mickey train, but it just Saturday proved that like you need somebody that is going to develop players and build around the line. Cause obviously in year two, Belima has already done that with the current players that he did not recruit in. He did not bring in these players and yet he can, he's able to turn that around to do what he's done at Illinois. So that's kind of my two cents on it. And yeah. for the record and for the record for me, I still, would I, I still think Mickey mm-hmm. would be a good option. I still think he's top five. Yes, he's unproven, but sometimes maybe, you know, t- you know, like when you learn how to swim, you right. get thrown in the deep end and you figure it out by by paddling your butt off. But I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm with what you're saying there for sure. I'm just, it just it's it's still just it's hard for me to be like you can get anybody you want, but if you're gonna get that kind mm-hmm. of effort from your players it doesn't matter who you get in here. Right. And that's, success. that's what I'm hoping for. And I like, I just, it's tough to obviously convince this fan base of like, you cannot hire Mickey solely based off of, Oh, you like the guy because he brings, you know, that mentality and that emotion to the players. I'm like, yeah, that's cool and all. But if you can't do what you actually need to do in football games, like it does not matter. Um, so that's that's obviously the tough part about trying to sway and convince Husker Nation that they just cannot make this hire based off of emotion. And that's what I've said all along. It's like, yeah, it's going to really suck if we keep winning because it's like you have like you have no choice but to keep Mickey. And then you might be at this again in like three to four years um, again. So. With that, uh, Nate, I'll pass it to you if I have any quick thoughts about that before we dive into Minnesota here. Uh, not too much. going to be a tough coaching search still. Um, you guys brought up some really good points. Uh, I think I think we still got a few more games. We'll, f- <laughs> we'll find out in a few more games. And I think it's, it's still a long interview process mm-hmm. for Mickey, so I'm not definitely not off the train for him yet. Um, but I think... I think he can he can recruit well. He's done that. We he's proven that he can recruit guys, big time players, uh, even to Nebraska. Um, it seems like he can really get players buy into what he his vision is for the program and what he wants to see on the field. I think there's still some probably culture changes that are ongoing, as we can see with players like Ben Hart and some of those guys that aren't necessarily trying as hard. Uh, and that's just something that 
is probably going to have to be built upon, built over, rather than something that's just shoved to the side. It's something you got to work out of the program. And we were hoping it was being done with uh, the Frost era, but unfortunately it was probably made arguably worse. Um, arguably? <laughs> than uh, what Mike Riley left us. So um, I think that needs to be taken into consideration too with Vicky is like, he is inheriting a really, really, really bad program <laughs> and not necessarily top-of-the-line players. I mean, he had a hand in getting some of the guys, some of the transfers. I was going to say, here, that that's, that's like the biggest it. thing, too, is like all of the players that are doing well are transfer players. They're not recruits that mm-hmm. Frost brought in at all. Um, outside of, like, obviously Garrett Nelson, yep. but or I guess any of the defensive players cut. You know, offensive wise, I mean, the offense is good because you have Casey Trey and Anthony Grant, who were all transfer players <laughs> and Marcus Washington at times. But yep, like we, we've discussed before, it's you can't like the transfer portal is a quick fix type solution. It is not something you can build a long term team off of as well. Mm. But yeah, if you don't. If you have any other points, we'll kind of dive right into uh, Minnesota here. So Saturday, uh, right now, they are a minus six, I guess, plus 16 dog at home, which I think is third highest all time that Nebraska has ever been an underdog at home. Uh, I think the other two times were 2017 Ohio State and 2019 Ohio State, which obviously those were well warranted as well, but (laughs) Um, either way, you know, Nebraska goes into that game needing just some sort of momentum and we're kind of, we're kind of going to see the same thing out of Minnesota as we saw Illinois, uh, a team that is very run heavy with Mo Ibrahim, who is another, you know, he's almost eclipsed a thousand yards. Um, so he's definitely a top, uh, leading rusher in the country again. Um, I know I made a note there that I, want Tanner Morgan to graduate. I am so sick and tired of playing him just like Sean Clifford. He just needs to graduate and please get away from football because I am so tired of playing him. But at the same time, um, I mean, these offenses are like semi-identical. You know, they're going to dink and dunky underneath. Tanner Morgan probably has a better arm at throwing long balls. So we might see a little bit more of that. But we definitely know Minnesota's identity is running the ball. Um, they average about 223 rushing yards a game, which is top 15 in the country. Um, in terms of, I mean, they're what 105th in passing yards a game in the country. So, you know, definitely not a passing threat team. But again, what we said all year, any team that plays Nebraska looks like a championship caliber team <laughs> um, as well. So, Offensive wise, we're going to see probably a similar style as we saw with the Illinois game. So on the defensive front, you know, how do you approach that in terms of trying to fix your defense to stop uh, Mo? Because I'm sure Illinois, like Minnesota is going to do what Illinois did. It's just give Mo 25 plus carries and be like, hey, you know, just hit your holes, do what you got to do, follow your line and just gas the defense. So. Hopefully the defense kind of learned of facing a top back. You know, hopefully they can adjust to that. Likewise, Minnesota's defense, probably about the same as Illinois' defense. Um, I know going forward, I looked up these stats. We are going to be playing the top at least seven defenses 
going forward the rest of the year outside of Wisconsin. Uh, I think Minnesota's like number three. Iowa's, I think, number five in the country in total defense. So it does not get any easier from here on out for our offense going against uh, subpar defenses because Minnesota is about the same as Illinois. Um, They do not give up a lot of points. They do not give up a lot of yards, either passing or running. So that makes me very nervous on who we have as quarterback because we're going to need a spectacular game. And I do not think we have even remotely close to a spectacular backup quarterback, as we've mentioned before. Um, So like both sides of the ball, we're probably going to see a very similar game plan of offense and defense from Minnesota. Not much to differentiate uh, besides the two. So I think my keys to the game are going to be as they were last week. Um, You know, you're definitely going to need your defense to make turnovers and make a couple big plays. And you're definitely going to need your special teams to make a couple big plays. Um, Because if Casey or if Casey is still out and we have to rely on Treble and Logan, we are definitely going to be relying on the other two facets of the game to probably keep us in the game and get us some points. Um, Cause I just don't see our offense moving unless we mix it up really well between Chubba and Logan. I don't see our offense moving the ball that well uh, against Minnesota. So I'll pass it to Nate and Zach over there for their quick initial thoughts before we get some predictions in here. Yeah, I think it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be one of those games where they kind of run us into the ground. And when they stop doing that, they're going to pass. Yep. Over us. Tanner, yeah. Um, I mean, Tanner Morgan it, is a much better quarterback just, than Danny DeVito. So, or Tommy DeVito. I wish it was Danny DeVito. <laughs> it is Tommy DeVito. You're right. <laughs> Danny DeVito wouldn't make a very big or very good quarterback. He's kind of short. Just going to throw oh that out there. Oh my God. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Continue, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but i think uh yeah just looking at minnesota they're a little more run heavy but overall fairly balanced averaging about 200 passing yards 220 rushing yards per game uh so i think it'll it'll be a pretty balanced attack from them they've got the experience uh they're going to be another team that has a lot of experience on both sides of the ball a lot of i think uh super seniors again they got mo ibrahim another one on the top uh, running backs in the nation. Tanner Morgan has been there for 30 years. Might be there for another 30. Understatement we'll on the 30 years. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I I think it's going to be, yeah, like you said, really similar to the Illinois game, and uh, that does not bode well for us. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to Zach for any of his thoughts quick before we get into predictions. It's going to be another ugly Big Ten game. And we know how these go, but unfortunately, uh, one of the teams in that Big Ten game is uh, Nebraska. <laughs> so uh, that means that Minnesota is probably going to be really able to run all over us, especially with Mr. Mo Ibrahim in there. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Minnesota and Nebraska have always played well against each other, but I think this is going to be one of the years where we see that Minnesota plays better by far than Nebraska. Um, I I guess for me, the keys to the game are going to be trying to stop the run and just seeing if we can, well, maybe not stop it, but try to slow it down some, maybe try to hold them back, make them pass. Uh, you know, if they're going to beat us in the air, then fine. They're obviously not uh, as strong there. So if we can make them 
pass it. I think it will have success on the defense. And for the offense, it's just go out there and I'd say do your job. Do the, like, do you, the football the offense itself. <laughs> do the Yeah, do the good thing. <laughs> do the needful. I don't think it needs to be overly tough. I mean, I'm not saying run the simplest playbook we got, but definitely let's I, – I say maybe try to – like uh, like we did with the first couple games that Mickey won there, slow, slow it down a little bit and maybe just – Give Chuba or give Logan or both of them try to give them some time to breathe and let that offensive line maybe maybe they uh maybe they'll they'll find a spark too especially with um I don't know if we'd mentioned this already with Jalen Weaver moving oh, to yeah. offensive yeah, yeah, line yeah. from D line which was which mm-hmm. was uh his decision which I don't know I mean that going back to the rant that I did just have maybe the players are taking it upon themselves to make the team better um, rather than having, you know, because another thing that also I was watching before we started here that I think is key to the game is uh, Brewington even came out during his um, press conference today. And he had said that, uh, you know, coach Mick will come out and say it's on him. It's on him. But at some, at the end of the day, we as players need to, execute and we need to do the things too and then he went with an example where he should have done this instead of this and so you know the accountability i think is there and i think people or i think our players really want to play for coach mick but with this would be a great game to put it together because i'd love to see us beat minnesota and so you know slow down the run let's maybe um try blocking on special teams what? a little bit here no and there way. and uh <laughs> and uh, maybe just keep keep the offense simple, but you know, mm-hmm. do what works. Um, and hopefully, maybe get some better play calling because I, I know I put on our notes here that we were discussing is <laughs> this week. What do we what do we put? Is it the offensive line or do we put Mark Whipple and his pl- questionable play calling? And I'll admit, <laughs> we can put both of them into a rocket <laughs> and see what happens because I'm convinced they both probably need to go that way at least after last week. But maybe they can fix it. So, uh that's that's all I got. I mean, I think uh, it should be a interesting. It'll be an interesting game, I right? Think. So, so prediction wise, uh, I will go. 31 14 Minnesota. I do think, uh, you know, we'll get a couple touchdowns. I think Nebraska scores kind of late in the game as their second touchdown. That's kind of Minnesota either puts in their second team or just kind of takes their foot off the gas because they'll do what Illinois did and just kind of let us coast and do whatever we want because we know we can't win. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's going to be a very high scoring affair just because Minnesota does run the ball a lot. So unless we give up 80 plus yard touchdowns every other play, um, I think it's going to be kind of a semi-low scoring game. Um, but yeah, 31-14 Minnesota. You know, I think <clears throat> I want to go and see, I'm looking at weather right now. There's actually a chance for some uh, rain, possibly some snow mixing in on Saturday morning kind of saturday throughout the day which could uh don't like that a whole new (laughs) set of uh complications to that game but uh still a lot of variability and uncertainty at uh, this time range but there's at least some signals so be something to look forward to i guess um, moving closer to the game but i'm gonna go with 
24 to 12. I think we're going to score some field goals. I think that's <laughs> about as far as we're going to get. <laughs> Just a lot of field goals. Yep. <laughs> Mine, I think, is really close as well. Um, I don't know. I think I think Minnesota is going to have kind of the same realization if they do like they did. If Illinois did like they did to us, Minnesota will probably just uh, take it easy. That's uh, we hope we'll take it easy that second half. Um, for me, though, I actually am going to say we're going to get one touchdown and then field goals after that because that's the Nebraska special baby. And I'm going to say we're going to get. 13 points uh, to their 28. Don't I you think. mean the Denver Broncos? I think special? they're going oh. <laughs> are to... Are, are, are all the players reading from the same book when it comes to those teams? It's a bad <laughs> book that they should not be reading from. I was going to say, these books these books that I keep bringing up, like, ah, I think they're reading from this book. Those need to be thrown <laughs> away, obviously, because they shouldn't be doing that. But, hey, again, like I always say, I don't coach. Right. So what do I know? Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> with that, me, uh, kind of one quick final point I wanted to bring up, just in terms of the college football world, that the uh, college football playoff rankings got released today. Um, so just your kind of top 10 as we go here in order. Uh, you have Tennessee at one, Ohio State at two, Georgia at three, and Clemson at four. So if the playoff were to be today, that would be your top four teams in. And then just your teams kind of on the outside looking in at the moment. Uh, Michigan at five, Alabama at six, TCU at seven, Oregon at eight, USC at nine, and LSU at ten. So be interesting to see those uh, rankings fluctuate as the season goes on. I know we talked about last week that those will obviously change when uh, you know Tennessee and Georgia play and Ohio State, Michigan play. So that'll kind of be a fluid fluxing. Uh, situation as we go on um so if you guys have any other points here we'll kind of wrap it up or if you have any just a quick initial thoughts about the rankings yeah i think my biggest thought was that i was surprised lsu made it into the top right i mean they're six and two ahead of ole miss ucla illinois i mean like that that one really surprised me i truthfully didn't i mean (laughs) No LSU. They should. Uh, they really should ranked, be ranked so above Ole Miss because they beat but... <laughs> Ole Miss. But like rank ten is. Mm-hmm. You're right. That's a little interesting. Yeah, that was that was kind of the main main shocker to me. And then yeah, Rocky Go Top. Rocky but... <laughs> Top. It's especially interesting that LSU is on there because I'm just looking at the records here. They are the top ten, and they have a six and two record. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they've obviously turned it around a little bit. But the next six and two team on that on that uh on that list is Kansas State down at 13. So Yep. And they've been balling out too, but they don't have Adrian currently. He's injured, but they didn't need him last week. 48 thrashed State. Oklahoma State. <laughs> and I think thrash is like an understatement. That was what 48 to nothing that yep. they beat Kansas or Oklahoma State. Yeah, that was 000. Very, very surprising out of all the college football scores. That was the most surprising to me because they got just hammered by Kansas State. (laughs) To me, though, I was I'm so pumped to see Tennessee, number one, just because if nothing else, it's just it's different. And it's finally not it's finally not your Alabamas and your Georgias. And 
I agree with Tennessee being put at number one. As soon mm-hmm. as that came out while we were on here, I was super excited because I'm like, that's that's what I've thought this whole time is Tennessee should for sure be uh, in conversation at least top two. Um, you know, I, do I think do I think they have an edge over Georgia? I, I mean, we're gonna find out, but um, I really, really will like to see Clemson over Michigan was kind of a surprise to me, but I think you know. I think the writing is kind of on the wall. If if you ask me, I think Ohio State is going to uh, give Michigan its what for. So I think I, I don't necessarily think the playoff committee said that out loud when they were talking about it, but I think it might have been they might have uh, thought right. about it. But you know, it is it's just nice to see something different. And what's really going to be fun is when the playoff finally changes and we get to see these top twelve oh, yeah. teams that are. Is, it, is that yes, right? It's 12 team? That'll be way, that'll yeah, be I mean, way yeah, more exciting. It, that, that to me is going to open which up. Then, the yeah, you would just include so. Ole Miss and UCLA at that point uh, to finish out your top 12. So mm-hmm. that, I mean, yeah. If you're, and then at the outsiders at that point would be Kansas State, Utah, Penn State, and Illinois if it were today. Um, so, I mean, that's mm-hmm. you get a little bit more of those one, two lost teams kind of in the mix there, kind of trying to get into a 12-team playoff. So, I agree. Once we just need to get to that now, but you know, college football playoff likes to drag well, it with how well and with how these, these records are too, outside of the eight mm-hmm. nose at the top. Well, so unless you're TCU at number seven, but like with, uh, you know, these are, like mm-hmm. you said, fluid. And so this could, I, I would just love to see the top four just get completely right. switched up with completely different teams. Mm-hmm. Like, like, let's keep Tennessee there, but let's see, like, re, you know, let's see what TCU looks like in a top four in the playoff or even like the five and uh-huh. six spot. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Uh, right. I'm super pumped. So going to be going to be fun to watch that go. So in terms of this weekend, obviously, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff ESPN two against Minnesota. You know, it's going to be a football game, whether it's good or bad. There will be football. Um, at least for one team in particular, probably it'll be one of the football games of all time. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So as we'll just wrap it up here, obviously always go big red, but not, not leaning too much into the optimism tank of at a good outlook for Saturday, but nonetheless, you know, we'll go out, we'll play football, you know, Mickey, Obviously, his job interview. This is still a job interview game for him, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but just as a reminder, you can always find us on our social medias on Facebook and uh, Twitter. There, always give us details to talk about. If you guys have any other thoughts or questions, you can always shoot them at our socials, and we'll get them discussed on the show here. But I'm Andy. That is Nate, and that is Zach. And as always, remember, if it's a Nebraska, if it's a possibility, it is a Nebraska ability.